and welcome to the New Mexico Autism Project podcast for educators. These podcasts, as well as our online training series, have been developed by the University of New Mexico Center for Development and Disability in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department as a resource for educators who would like to learn more about evidence-based practices for working with students diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. We hope that you enjoy this series, and if you have any questions about these resources or how we may support your school district through the NMPED Autism Project, please contact me, Patrick Blevins, at the email address shown on the slide, or call the UNM CDD at 505-272-3000. Welcome to this podcast sponsored for you by the New Mexico Public Education Department and presented by the Autism and Other Developmental Disabilities Programs at the UNM Center for Development and Disability. I'm Mary Ann Trott and will be your host. Today, we're talking about transition. And while I really hesitate to assign a different level of importance to the topics that we are presenting, in my experience as an educator, this topic is one that, although extremely important, is sometimes neglected. Transition deals with the topic of what our students will do when they are no longer our students. In other words, the whole rest of their lives. Our focus on transition often falls into the category of too little, too late. Discussing transition issues with me today is Liddell Hash. Liddell has experience with students from elementary through high school and in transition services. I learned so much talking with her in preparation for this podcast, and I'm really looking forward to a productive conversation about transition. Liddell, first of all, would you introduce yourselves to us? Well, sure. Good morning. I'm Liddell Hash. I'm the special education lead in Las Cruces and at um, Centennial High School. Uh, previously, uh, this is my 20th year teaching. So I've always been in the special education realm of it all and been working with the high school kids for this is starting my ninth year. Great. And then you have, uh, so you, you did tell me that you have worked with all levels though, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I spent 12 years in the um, elementary setting. I did my student teaching with the, with the middle school and I work really closely with the middle schools now as we have kids transitioning from middle school up to high school. Okay, so uh, that's that is one part of transition. And, and as I say, I learned so much talking with you that I'm looking forward to this conversation for our listeners. Um, so will you remind us of what exactly transition refers to in the IEP? And what some of the, you know, basic rules are? Okay, great. Well, transition, the way it looks for us in the high school setting is it's required in, in the IEP. When we, when we work with students in the elementary setting, we, we focus a lot on their academic goals and, and looking at where we need to do to improve their skills and learn and really learning. And when we get up into the secondary part of it all, we, we tend to, fo- we, ha- we have a bigger focus on what that transition need is. First, we look at what is, what is the student's goals or ambitions? What do they want to do? And I'm putting quotes, um, when they grow up and we, we, we tend to focus then from there, we follow the guidelines that that have been given to us, um, which is called indicator 13. And I can go over that in just a second, but, um, 
We look at what they want to do, then how are we, what are we going to do within the IEP to help them get there? It's focusing in on what they're, what courses they're going to be taking that can kind of tap into those things to see if they like it. Um, taking uh, assessments on what career interests they have, where we, we put in their annual goals, looking at, you know, we're learning to do these reading tasks in order to aid them in their post-secondary goal of, uh, you know, being a farmer or whatever it is that they're interested in. That sounds great. And, um, is it, while I realize it's the same, regardless of the level of support that uh, students require, uh, can you just briefly talk a little bit about how it might be different for a student who has, you know, pretty much been on an, on an academic pathway versus some of our students that require more support uh, in terms of, of their uh, education? We look at how that transition happens a little differently between our our students that might be college bound or career bound, we do have different pathways that, that the IEP follows. And we also have our students who are on that ability pathway. And we have set up different programs throughout the state where um, we call them our 18 to 21 program. And that helps our students who, who aren't necessarily going to go from high school, graduate, and then go to college or go on to their career, but need some of that job coaching and stuff like that. Um, a lot of times it's our low incidence population that will have that require, you know, building those skills. And so we, we can allow them to continue with the public schools until they're 21, but doing this transition piece where they can go and, um, for, for my school in particular, the kids, they go off campus. They might arrive here on campus, but then they're learning to use the, um, you know, the, the public transportation or figuring out routes to get to their job sites. And they um, have an opportunity to work with a job coach and learn different skills. Maybe they, they'll start as um, having, you know, working in a a cafeteria setting and helping with cleaning up and busing and stuff like that, and then move on to um, dishwashing or something like that. And may, and that can even go on to being serving and, and getting that real sense of accomplishment and figuring out what, what it is they like to do. And even if it wasn't in that type of industry, maybe even moving on to, you know, animal care, different types of things, just figuring out what the, what they like to do and how that, you know, becomes satisfying for their That's, lives. Uh, that is so important. And I, and I want to go back and touch base there again. Uh, but before we do that, would you just briefly explain uh, the um, 13? Uh, <laughs> oh, indicator 13. Indicator yeah. 13. Yeah. yeah. So um, the, there's a, we have um, guidelines that are set forth for us to, that we follow starting when a student is 14. They are, the IEP is really starts to belong to them. Okay. So, um, students are required, you know, a lot of times we have the IEP and we meet with the parents and then the students are just kind of told about what, what's happening later. But once they start, once they start at the age of 14, it, the expectation is for them to be involved in the, in the process of their IEP and figuring out, you know, because that, um, transition piece is so big, starting with, by the time they turn 14, 
there's, there's a part of the IEP that becomes required um, for you to, to complete as part of uh, their plan. So um, there are eight sections and it's called indicator 13. Um, there's eight sections that we, we really focus in on and, and look at and has to be part of the IEP um, process. Um, first is, is really um, creating their post-measurable, post sorry, um, secondary goals. And that's, you know, looking at what kind of training are you going to need? What kind of education and what employment do you want to partake in by the time you're done? So there's always three parts to those post-secondary goals. One is for the employment. So an example would be upon graduation from high school, um, so-and-so will obtain a job in the field of animals. This is just an example. Beneath that would be the education piece. So upon graduation from high school, so-and-so will enroll in a program with an emphasis in vet tech or something like that. And then the third one, which is, um, which is big for our low incidence population is, is the um, independent living skills. So where would they be as far as post-secondary? What's the plan? Are they going to be um, staying in a dorm? Are they going to be going to be staying in a certain facility? Are they staying home with parents? Is the plan to be out as much as possible? Um, next, then that we have the post-secondary that they want to check to make sure that we are, we are discussing that and having that conversation with the students annually. We also have that um, we use a transition assessment to be able to come up with that. So giving the students the opportunity to look at a, the different types of transition assessments that are out there and being able to, you know, the, this assessment supposed to try and hone in on where they, they like to be. So if they're taking a, a transition planning inventory, which is what we call the TPI, it would, they answer certain questions. Do you like working with animals? Do you like working with people? Um, or do you like to be by yourself a lot? You know, and all of the way that they answer certain questions would be able to help them figure out what's the best kind of job that they're looking for. Um, there's also transition services in their course of studies. So if they're interested in, um, working with animals or maybe want to work at the animal shelters or anything like that, then we would definitely want to make sure that they're taking classes that relate to animal science, a biology class maybe, or, or um, having those opportunities. Uh, you know, a, a kiddo wants to be a police officer, then maybe they would want to take the law studies class. We update their annual goals, which generally focus in on the academic piece, but we want to add in why am I making you do this academic goal? Well, it's to help you out in this area. And then we always want to make sure that the student is invited to the IEP. And we, we do show evidence of that. And um, if, they, if they need um, any representation from an outside agency, we would make sure that um, they were aware and had the opportunity to bring that person to the IEP. Um, a good example would be if a student is interested in joining the military, we would see about a recruiting officer being able to attend or some of our other kiddos that might need the, the help or the service of DVR, the Department of Vocational Rehab, um, being able to have somebody from there 
come in and, and show how their services would help. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> no, that was, uh, that was perfect. That was exactly what, what we needed to know. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And there is a, um, uh, it's called Classroom Essentials, a Classroom Essentials um, um, sheet that goes along with this podcast uh, and does have a lot of that information on it. But it just really helps to hear uh, you know, how it actually plays out with, with individual students because uh, transition planning is a person-centered process and really Absolutely. does need to include the students. So I appreciate you going into that. Um, and you kind of touched on it, uh, but kind of um, if you would explain a little bit more the transition um, process uh, and then transition services and how do those kind of meld into one another and differ? Yeah, so we do have, um, there's different agencies out there, um, depending on where, where the students want to go as far as, as meeting that next step. So one thing that happens with, with the indicator 13 is what I fill out for on their IEPs and, and do all of that. We also have um, what's called indicator 14, which is where a, a year or two after they graduate, someone checks back in to say, Hey, I'm looking at your IEP that you had right before the end of school. Did you, did you get a job in this area or did, you know, how did it go? Do you feel like this IEP helped you get ready for that next piece? So there, there's a, another piece that leads into that just to check back with them. But, um, it's really important to find out where, where those skills are at so that we can know which way to push them, you know, which way to go in that direction, but not just leaving them like, well, we, we, we kept you till you're 21. Now, now go for it, <laughs> you know, and um, it's, it's your turn. You know, we want to make sure that we have given them enough information that they know where that next step is. For example, DVR. DVR is going to be the, per, the people that help them. Um, and this could be for any student with any type of disability, you know, depending, they, they bring in their IEP and they, they, it helps them and their evaluations and DVR is able to help them apply for jobs, build resumes. Um, they may know of certain agencies that are looking for certain kinds of skills that these kids could provide. So, and then they also have information on you know, maybe, maybe it's not necessarily a job that they go to, but maybe some kind of day program where they can go to cooking classes and, um, you know, carpentry classes or something like that, that, that they're interested in and still be able to meet with other adults with disabilities and be able to kind of keep in that, in that community. We also have the DVR will, will help guide them in, in funding that the, the students might be receiving on how to access speech therapy outside of class or outside of the school system and access, um, uh, you know, a companion or a job coach or something like, like that can be assigned. And then they still have the benefit of a case manager. Boy, that is just so much information, and it's really uh, very, very valuable. Um, so uh, how do you prepare, because there is so much information and there are so many requirements, how do you help families uh, be ready to think about, I mean, both, how do you help both students and their families uh, to be ready for this meeting and to really uh, think, um, you know, sort of ahead in terms of the meeting and not just toward the end of school? 
we really, we really start to emphasize a lot about transition once they turn 14 and really when they start to turn 16 and, and getting into that high school setting, but really it goes way back to when they first qualify for special education services. Some of, some of our students even qualify or they know that they're going to need support for the, for probably the rest of their lives, starting when they start in, in pre-K you know, they, they're starting in the DD program, DD, um, preschool or anything like that, being realistic about what the, what that plan is and thinking about what, what can happen. So, um, I think going back as, as far as you can to try and start preparing for these different things and, and figuring out, um, you know, all of our kids, they have big dreams and that's wonderful. And we want to keep with that, but it's being able to have that dream in mind and being able to, to show them how they can, can get it, you know? Um, well, that's such an important point. I know I've talked with, uh, you know, teachers and, and t- teachers and families and teachers have said, well, the family has such unrealistic expectations. Like yeah. they think, you know, maybe this student is going to go to college and the student maybe isn't toilet trained yet. And that's mm-hmm. really okay. Cause mm-hmm. the first step to going to college is that you need to be toilet trained. And so, you right. know, we can, we can go from there. Um, and I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, you're, we're not limiting their dreams in any way. Um, but we're kind of, uh, it sounds like steering, um, those, you know, sort of the looking at the pre the very basic prerequisites in order to, to meet those goals. Yes, uh, absolutely. And being realistic and, and just, um, sometimes it's even, it it takes it. What's helpful is even inviting the parents into the room and seeing how things are going. Not, not there all the time, because we want the kids to start being independent away from their parents, but, um, being able to see what their, what their abilities are and where they're at and, and, and seeing what's possible. But I do want to touch in a little bit about the college. We, uh, you know, I've, I've been doing some looking at some transitioning for some of our, our low incidence kiddos on what the next step is, because, you know, we have a really great school, um, that specifically has programs for students with, um, you know, intellectual disabilities, uh, autism, all kinds of programs. There's one in, there's one in Roswell. There's one in silver city, I believe. And there is college opportunities here on here in Las Cruces. We have, um, the, there's one of the community colleges offers courses for, um, to help them get a little more prepared outside of the, out of the high school range. So that is really important information and, and, uh, school districts in general should have uh, good information about where those programs are in relationship to uh, their location. Is that, is that correct? Yes. Yes. So if that's the plan, then we just, for I've, I've been fortunate that the schools are sending me information <laughs> so I can pass that along to parents and, and give them that the opportunity, but we do have, um, most of the, most of the high schools has a transition planning person either downtown or that we, we try to invite to the different meetings and they have really good skills as far as knowing which direction each of these students need to go. You know, this one needs to definitely sign up with DVR. This person needs to go. Maybe we can look at the school for them and lots of different um, opportunities out there. Well, that's, that's really important information. Appreciate that. 
Um, so what in a, in a transition plan or, you know, the whole process, is there anything in particular that stands out in your mind that kind of gets overlooked or neglected, or do you feel like, um, the schools and the families really take a, a pretty careful look at all of the pieces? Uh, well, of course, there's always going to be that area that we just kind of, it, it it's got to get done. You know what I mean? And we just do it just because it's supposed to get done. I really think that we need to get better at um, that transition assessment, you know, really looking at that, or maybe, maybe one transition assessment's not enough. It doesn't give the right kind of information, but looking at taking various kinds of transition assessments that, that might help um, figure in a little better. I think that, I think that, um, me and, and maybe my team could get better at, about transition assessments instead of just, oh, they took one and, and we, we got it, we got it jotted down, you know, but really looking at where does it, it say your interest areas lie and let's, let's go with it. Let's talk about it. Let's have that conversation. Look, you, you scored high in, in, you know, with your people skills, what kind of jobs out there have really good people skills? Maybe it's, maybe it's teaching, maybe it's nursing, maybe it's um, childcare, you know, or something like that. And, and I, so I, I think that that's an area that could be improved upon and that might not be true for, for everyone, but it's something that I would like to get better at. Oh, I think you're probably speaking for a lot of uh, people that, that work with students that are transitioning. And certainly uh, in my experience, those are really important because it's so hard to uh, have you know, one, a one size fits all. And uh, many of our listeners are working with kids with autism spectrum disorders. Mm -hmm. And so um, could, you, could you talk just a little bit about what might be different, uh, particularly for kids with autism spectrum disorders that have you know, the, the social communication characteristics and the um, really perseverative interests as part of their diagnostic criteria? Right, well, so there's all kinds of different um, assessments out there for, to figure out their interest areas, you know, maybe, maybe one that doesn't require reading, but looking at pictures and certain things like that, that might help us kind of gear them in what their interest areas might be. And I think really, you know, there's so many jobs out there that don't, don't necessarily require a whole lot of interaction, but it's learning about those tasks and figuring out, you know, what kind of, you know, they get, the students get real used to in the classroom learning schedules and being consistent. And that, and I know that a lot of students appreciate that consistency because there's not surprises and, and, and things like that to throw them off and, and maybe cause, you know, a, a meltdown or anything like that. So, but it's about knowing that, you know, we all know life doesn't, doesn't roll that way that we are always caught with certain surprises and we have to learn new things, but it's giving them an opportunity that even though I'm moving to a place that I, I don't know, or I'm not familiar with, if I give it a little bit and we start, and I have this, at least this familiar person with me, helping me with that transition into the new place, then I start to learn new schedules and new tasks and new, new things to try. And hopefully that, that, that helps them a little bit. Did that kind of answer your question? It really does. And it just okay. kind of feeds into what I frequently tell teachers is 
uh, you know, the, our point with our students with autism is, is not to feed into their routinization, their, you know, <laughs> their, yeah. their desire to be very routine, but to figure out ways that we can help them be more um, able to, to take the things that are a little bit different and a little more uh, encourage flexibility a little more than the, the real um, strict routinization, which is, of course, not all mm -hmm. kids with autism, but some. So that is exactly um, <laughs> what I was kind of thinking there. <laughs> well, uh, and maybe, maybe change becomes their routine. You know, maybe we can figure out how to do that, that, you know, um, I'm, I'm expecting something different every day, that that becomes part of their, their change. Right. That, that could be so. And, and we know novelty is really helpful many times as well. And the other thing that I was thinking of is uh, their difficulties in uh, social communication. And you mentioned that with the assessments, a person with autism, be really yeah. good with, uh, you know, the files in a, a doctor's office or something like that. Or even with animals or, um, you know, just there's, there's so many, there's so many things out there. I, I, I would be able to tap into one and then it, it, oh, and then there's this, and then there's that. So lots of things happen in the IEP where if you just start having that conversation, instead of it just being, you know, um, we got to get through this paperwork and these are the things I have to ask and, and getting through it that way, but having that conversation and why another reason why it's so important to have the student there with you, um, to have that conversation with, it's like you guys, you as the teachers might have some ideas that they knit, they don't, they're, they're 15. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know that that's out there for them. There's lots of opportunities for them to learn from during that IEP. So it sounds like um, this, this meeting meetings, you said at 14 and at 16 is when you meet. They they've um, brought the age down. We, you, you, it used to be at 16, we, we need to make sure that all these indicators were met and that we're talking about those and discussing them. Um, we've brought that recently down to, it's always been 14 that you start looking at that, but now it's a requirement for the 14 year olds and up. So every year we discuss it, but um, those were the big years. Okay. Well, I'm them. glad you made that distinction. So it sounds like those, those, you really need to plan some time for those meetings and planning them out well, ahead and individualization. Right. And like, like with adults, we, we change our minds. I changed my mind in college. I was not going to be a teacher because that's what my mom did. And that's what my grandparents did. And my great grandparents, I was going to go do something else <laughs> and, you know, and it's a calling, but, um, kids change their mind too. You know, they think they want to go into the military and then it's, well, maybe I want to be a police officer and it's telling them that's okay. We can go with the flow. The IEP is a living document. If you, we don't just have to meet once a year. If you want to meet four times a year, then we'll do that. We'll make those changes and we'll start to figure out what it is that's best going to meet your needs individually. We need to, to make a plan for you. Oh, that is also such an important point. And, and I know a relief for families for sure. And, and certainly for a lot of teachers as well to know that, you know, we, we can, this is an ongoing conversation. Um, so uh, one thing that you and I talked about uh, a little earlier as well was uh, how teachers of younger students help to facilitate a successful transition. And you mentioned earlier on that, you know, transition actually begins, you know, with those three-year-olds in a, in a program. So uh, talk a little bit about that, if you would, please. 
Well, you kind of tapped into it a little bit too, where, you know, they need to be potty trained in order to, to go to the next step. It's going to start that way in, in preschool and moving on up to the elementary schools where we're looking at certain skills and that they're starting to find themselves, the kiddos and what they like to do. Then when you start, you do a trend, they don't call them transition meetings anymore. They're, they're more promotional meetings when they're moving up from fifth grade to, to the middle school setting. Middle school is where they're going to have that first opportunity to take a class that they want. And they, so maybe it's, um, maybe they, they'll be able to take Spanish or take band or something like that and be able to start building that. This is what I want to do with my life type thing. And then they, tra- then we have, they, they have those few middle school years and then we transition up to, to high school. And now we really start thinking about what is it going to take to do what you really want. And then now they have more opportunity to take multiple classes that they want to take or try. So maybe they get into the culinary arts class thinking that they're, they're going to be this chef and all these things and they get there and they don't like getting their hands dirty. Now's the time to learn that. And they are able to move on from there, but starting that, starting to nurture that figuring out what you want to do and the things that you like starts so early with these kiddos when they're little, little, you know, my, my own son, you know, knew he liked the animals and stuff like that. And as he got older, realized that he wanted to work, continue working with, with the animals, but he liked being outside. So what do I got to do? He wants to be a game warden. You know what I mean? And he can just, he, we, he started thinking about that when he was little three, three, four years old. And it's the same for these kids that just start, start thinking what you like to do and we can help you get generate ideas. I had a, I had a student, we were in his IEP and we we're trying to figure out the next classes for him to take. He wants to be a firefighter. That's what he wants to do. So it's a good idea for him in our, in our school to take that drafting class. Cause he knows like where socials where um, not social, I'm sorry, where building structures are at and being able to know these are safe spaces when, you know, if you're thinking about a fire and a building, taking a drafting class helps with understanding a building structure. And he also probably needs to know a little bit about the law and he needs to take PE cause he needs to be physically fit. All of these, we don't necessarily have a fire fireman program in this high school, but we have lots of these classes that can aid to that, but trying to figure that out. Yeah, those are such important points. And then the, the other thing um, that I think you and I talked about a little bit is the whole uh, idea of independent living and, uh, you know, how, you know, we need to really start thinking from early ages about the fact that they are not always going to be easily managed and taken from one spot to another. Sure. They grow up and they, that you can't pick them up and carry them one from one place to another. Right. Anymore. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, really, you know, uh, one, uh, one example I think that we talked about was, you know, um, 
a parent had all these things that they wanted their student to do, but then they, they were working with them and realized that they couldn't cross the street. They, they weren't they, safely, you know, being able to look both ways and create those habits and, and, and knowing that there's, there's so much more than just that, that, that academic piece where you were learning, we're learning all these things and the kids, they really like to do those things, but there's all these other pieces that go along with it, like crossing the street, um, you know, is it getting their driver's license and figuring that out? And it might just be that whenever I walk into this office area, I I'm not going to go sit next to right next to the other person and maybe invade their space. Lots of different, different things to touch on there, but it's it for the independent living that they, they may want, they ha- may have these, oh, my, I, my kiddo is going to go stay here, but the, the, those are other skills that we have to build on as far as independent living. Can they, can they write a check or even keep a check, a bank account? Can they um, cross the street without, without uh, getting hurt or causing trouble for whatever's around them? or even just approaching, maybe, maybe even approaching an, an animal in the park, you know, so many different things to, to just have conversations with. Wow. That is just, it's really, they're kind of daunting thinking of, of all there is, but I'm really glad that you, you mentioned those things. Um, and I, I really appreciate all that you've shared with us. What have I missed? What, what do you want to share with us about transition, transition planning, transition services that we haven't yet talked about? Well, I, I think it, I think it's important that, you know, we touched on that before saying that it needs to start with really early, even sooner than when we're supposed to be talking about it. But I really, I really think too, that it's really important that, that parents understand what this transition means. And at some point they're going to, they're going to have to let their, their little ones walk walk away and go do a job for a little while, you know, and, and the transition is important for the parents too, I think, and for them to be really involved in knowing what that that's going to take. And I think that being very real and open and honest with everybody in the IEP team and knowing that, you know, parents have to be there and a teacher has to be there and a, and the case manager has to be there and the student has to be there. And we're all having these conversations and the parent maybe realizing that this is a transition for them too, that their kids are going to transition to where they need to, where they need to go. Oh, that's such an important point because it's often very difficult for parents as well. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much, Liddell. This has really been very helpful. And uh, I know our listeners will learn a lot. And again, just a reminder uh, that there is, along with the link for this podcast, there is a, um, it's called a classroom essentials, uh, sort of a tip sheet uh, regarding transition. And uh, Liddell shared a lot of uh, really important websites and information with me that I added to that tip sheet. So again, thank you so much, Liddell. And we appreciate you talking to us. My pleasure.